Welcome to the Direct Response Marketing Magic Podcast. Seth Green is a five-time best-selling author, speaker, and nationally recognized direct response marketing expert who is CEO of one of the fastest-growing direct response marketing firms in the country. To get free access to a download of his new book, Podcast Marketing Magic, and a free live training webinar that will show you how you can use a podcast to attract new customers and referrals like magic, simply register at www.ultimatemarketingmagician.com. On the podcast, Seth brings together some of the most cutting-edge thought leaders in the world to share with you how they grow their businesses and how you can too. And now, here's your host, Seth Green. marketing guy is my dad. First, he helps people with with marketing magic. Next, if you need marketing help, he will help you. Finally, if he is a magic marketer, my dad is the best. Welcome to the podcast. This is your host, Seth Green. Today, I have my good fortune to be interviewing Jeremiah DeMarais, labeled one of the greatest marketing minds in the financial industry by executives and thought leaders. He is a top-ranked, award-winning marketing advisor, strategist, and marketer with over 23 awards and recognitions from Direct Marketing News, Web Awards, Marketing Sherpa, and many more, which means he's got 20 more awards than I do. I have some catching up to do. In April of 2015, he delivered the TED Talk, The Democratization, if I could talk, the democratization of marketing to a standing ovation. He was key in building one of the top 17 fastest-growing software companies in the country on the Inc. 500 list in less than three years and turned around the marketing systems at a multinational firm to increase sales by $26 million in only nine months, tripling sales practice, sales prospects within 60 days. The firm went on to be sold for $1.2 billion, billion with a B, a short time thereafter. He's been cited on CNN, Worth, and NBC among many, many others. Jeremiah, thank you so much for joining us today. It's a pleasure. Thanks so much, Seth. Well, I know you weren't always the marketing guru that you are now. How did you get started? <laughs> you know, you're absolutely right. Um, so I can vividly remember uh, being brought into a small little company who needed help with graphic design, which was my background. And I was... Uh, pretty much in love with the whole design industry. And I started designing websites. This was right around the year 2000. And so here I was a little graphic designer designing websites for a small startup. And then at a certain point after having me design all these websites, uh, knowing nothing about coding or anything like that, just making pretty pictures come together, they said, hey, we need leads. And so they looked to me and says, you know, you're you're in graphics. You should probably you could probably design something that'll get people to click or buy or do something like that. And I said, uh, okay, not having <laughs> really any money. I, I was uh, new from originally from Montreal, and I came to Chicago with uh, a couple hundred bucks in my pocket. And so any work was good work, and I would say yes to everything. 
and then go figure it out afterwards how to how to go and actually do it. So what I did is I uh, started learning about marketing. Uh, I got some books which were pretty old, but had some good concepts in it related to how to write headlines, which I applied to how to use on emails and and so forth. And just through making a ton of mistakes and learning along the way, a lot of failures later, uh, I came up with some different systems and techniques uh, that worked really well and ended up putting me more in a marketing role than in a graphic design role. And it was funny because growing up in Canada, I know, Seth, you live a little bit close to the Canadian border, but for those of you listening to the podcast who are in Canada, you understand what I mean when I say the, the method of marketing that's used in the United States is very different than the marketing used in Canada. Canadians tend to respond better to examples, reasonableness, logical development, and they, they seem to eschew a little bit the hype, hype, rah-rah of American marketing, specifically direct response marketing that's written in an over-the-top kind of manner. Uh, of those Canadians. I know, right? But what was funny is when I was in Canada as a young guy, I had started a, a little community coupon book called Captain Coupon. And uh, <laughs> Love the name. And, I know. And, and so I would go around to different stores and try to get them to advertise in my little book and stuff. And, and more than one occasion, people said, you know, you really sound like you're an American. Are you sure you're, you're a Canadian? Like, like, where did you learn how to talk like this? Because I was using words that I was learning on infomercials in order to get them to buy. <laughs> Love it. Right now. Yeah. Like, do it right now. And if you do it now, here's Wait, what else will come. Yeah. So, so just having been exposed to that, and then when I came to the United States, I came you know, to search for opportunity, really. Um, I was just in love with the American way of doing business and how people here are so open to business and they're willing to do deals and they'll do deals on a handshake versus, you know, the Canadian culture is a lot more, okay, let's wait and see. Let's take our time. You know, let's wait to see other people doing it. But here, you know, everybody loves to be the race to be first. So anyways, that's kind of a little bit about my background and, and, um, and how early I was, I was exposed to marketing and how little did I know that it would take me to this point today where, you know, it's literally what I do uh, day in, day out. And how did you get to this point in your career? Well, it was through a, a series of, you know, I'd say fortunate events that connected me with wonderful people. Um, the first one was the CEO of uh, the current uh, the, the company that I, I first worked for here in Chicago. Uh, having he was a great CEO in that he really he really looked to hire people he thought were smart, and then he got out of their way uh, and trusted them to try a whole bunch of stuff. And that's what allowed me to have the freedom to try so many different things um, in the marketing team. Uh, I always had to kind of check with him, hey, you know, here's what I'm doing. He's like, fine, go ahead and, and do it. And what was interesting is because we had no money as a startup, this wasn't one of the startups that received, you know, a million dollars or a hundred thousand or even a thousand dollars. We got nothing from nobody. So every marketing initiative that was generating leads had to have an ROI. We weren't, we weren't allowed to do anything like branding ads or things like that. So naturally, 
you know, I was I was attracted to the school of direct response because, you know, it creates a result. And so by him giving me that kind of carte blanche to try and experiment and being in an environment where we were running at like Mach 5 with our hair on fire every single day. You know, we, we used to joke around that if you can survive one year here, it's like seven years everywhere else because you learn and you grow so quickly. And by virtue of that, I was able to use that experience to go to another uh, organization where I took a lot of these concepts and was able, that's the one you mentioned earlier, were able to do about over $20 million in brand new sales out of clients they already had in just nine months using a direct response letter and I think a four-step email sequence. Like it really was unbelievable, the results we got there. Um, and so, you know, along the way you work hard and people take notice and uh, I'm sure there's a lot of wonderful entrepreneurs listening to the podcast right now that, uh, you know, maybe you're, you got your head down, you're working hard. Uh, maybe not a lot of people are taking notice of what you're doing. And sometimes it feels like, you know, you're kind of alone out there. You're maybe writing copy in a vacuum or you're trying to set up your funnel or you're doing your, you're trying to get buy-in from other people, other leadership in the company, and they don't really see your vision. Uh, I was, I was one of those guys, you know, they kind of doubted myself a lot and wasn't sure if it was going to work. Uh, but to, just by plugging through and the simplicity of continuously fighting for that and just doing small things over and over again is what I would say got me to um, to where I am today, which to me, Seth, I mean, you asked me that question. I don't think I'm even – I mean, I know I'm not done. I, I hope I'll always be humble enough to learn from other people. I've learned so much from just our private conversations outside of this podcast uh, to be a lifelong learner. I Well, thank you. I appreciate that. That is very nice of you to say. What do you wish you knew when you started that you know now? I wish I had known how much people would trust in me if I simply spoke up and proposed something new. I doubted myself a lot uh, near the beginning, and I didn't think that I had the maybe the credentials or the experience or the gravitas or the, the business acumen to get people to buy into ideas that I had. And it's always been fascinating to me to, I've watched several entrepreneurs that I've worked intimately with that have either hired me as an advisor or uh, we partnered up on ventures and so forth, that they can create something out of thin air just on a transfer of enthusiasm. And that's something that I would go back and tell myself at a younger age that, you know, you can build whatever it is you want to build. You just have to transfer your enthusiasm in a better way and to be able to just enroll people in conversations. And you think about every startup that we admire today, Seth, they're all started with, you know, maybe one or two people sitting around a table, usually with a napkin or just a crazy business idea. Like look at the guys from Uber you know, completely disrupted the world of transportation with a simple concept. Um, you know, we could, the list goes on and on and on. But I think that's what I would go back and, and look and, and perhaps give myself that piece of advice. That is great advice to give yourself. Now, for our, what are some, for our financial advisors who are uh, consuming this, what are some of the biggest mistakes you see when it comes to financial advisors, you know, trying to get new business in the door? 
most are still using techniques and strategies taught at what I call the financial advisor school, which is <laughs> you know, after you get your after you get your um, your license or any one of the series that you might have, you know, people just kind of give you the basic marketing pitch, which is make a list, call all the people on that list, meet with the people on the list that agree to meet with you, look at them in the eye and say these words in a specific way, and you'll sell a policy. And of the people you sell, you know, use this structure of words to get a unique referral from them and then duplicate the process all over again. That's pretty much insurance marketing 101. Yes. Financial marketing 101. And most, most financial advisors simply use that as their way of growing their business. So the first mistake is they, they've never evolved beyond that school of marketing. The second big mistake is that they're not realizing the huge gap that exists between the number of people that are actively searching for experienced, reasonable help, whether that be through a fiduciary or, you know, uh, somebody who's compensated in other ways uh, online for expert help. And what's happening is most advisors today are, are, are still doing the dinner seminars, which for those that are not financial advisors and listening, <laughs> uh, financial advisors will be uh, very quick to tell you that one of the ways of marketing that's been that's worked well for perhaps 30 or 40 years is getting a mailing list. Seth, you know all about this. Mm-hmm. Get a mailing list of people that look like they're ready to retire of a certain net worth and certain zip codes. Invite them to a complimentary dinner seminar. Hopefully, you'll get what the in, in, this industry calls 50 buying units in the room, <laughs> 30 buying units, uh, which represents a couple or a person. And then of those people in the room, maybe six of them will book an appointment. And out of that, maybe, you know, three of them will, or one of them will become a client. So at a cost of about $8,000 per event to put something like this on, I can go four to $8,000 uh, to earn a commission of anywhere from five to maybe $20,000. You know, you just do the numbers. It makes sense. You're, it's, you're either doubling or tripling your money all the time. The problem is with all the new financial advisors that have gotten into the business lately and the, the rise in com- competition, a lot of dinner seminars are seeing less and less and less people. We actually have a client, Seth, who is a famous celebrity on a uh, Bravo Network show who also does this work and, and was telling me the other day how, um, you know, how, dinners, how a dinner seminar is less and less people come. And this is a celebrity that's fighting against people who are not literally fighting but competing against others who are – um, financial advisors, you can imagine, you'd think the celebrity would have a huge advantage. I have another client, he's an NF, former NFL player, same thing, seeing that in his market. Uh, so he's turned to other methods. So that brings me to mistake number three, is not embracing digital methods of marketing soon enough. And when you take the amount of data that's almost freely available from Facebook custom audiences to LinkedIn group building, uh, to Twitter campaigns with lead generation cards, uh, to digital display advertising, which is really taking off right now, where you can actually map somebody's home address to their IP address, right? Their the little IP address running off their Wi-Fi, and put ads directly on their every single device in their house. So you're very very targeted. All of that is available, and so. 
Um, that's why we have such great success stories of people today who have realized those mistakes, decided to keep an open mind, uh, and have had a lot of results using some of these techniques and strategies. But Seth, those would be the three things I would see would be the biggest mistakes that most financial advisors, and I'm willing to bet if you're listening to this podcast, you've probably seen a similar trend in the type of business you're in. Maybe there's an old, staid, standard way of doing business that most of your competitors are always doing, which is why I commend you for listening to this podcast because you're obviously somebody open and eager to learn new ideas. And that's why I want to commend you because so many people have the opportunity to listen to this talk today or any other of the podcasts you listen to, but they just don't. So I, I really think that you as a listener, I want to commend you and I'm quite honored to be here. Well, that is, I mean, I mean, those mistakes are so true. And what you talk about, you know, hey, in this financial advisor world, you know, 10 years ago, you could send out, you know, 5,000 seminar invitation and you got those 50 buying unit, 50 people to show up. Now it might take 60,000 invitations and you might get 20 people to show up and half of them were there for the free food and have been <laughs> to four other seminars. You know, I, I joke at conferences when I'm asked to speak and I say, listen, if you ever want, if you were ever homeless or hungry, you could probably eat out at one of the best hotels or banquet facilities in town every single night of the week. Just show up and find a financial advisor in that, that the, in, in one of those conference rooms giving a dinner and say, I forgot my invitation. Is it OK? And they'll let you in and let you have free food. <laughs> That's right. Absolutely. <laughs> so you're obviously helping financial advisors stay, get on the cutting edge of digital um, marketing and social media and online marketing to generate much better results. Uh, talk a little bit about some of – I've been incredibly fascinated with, if it's okay, your, uh, linked, your way of generating leads on LinkedIn. Sure. So there, there's a few strategies, and for the uh, listeners today, I'm, I hope to give something val of value to you can, you can use right away. So – um, we teach a combination of direct connecting and uh, cold email marketing strategies, which interestingly enough are, is not talked a lot about in the financial space, but uh, is really something that grew out of software marketing. Um, so what we, what we advise um, financial planners, insurance agents, group benefits agents, commercial lines, all the above to do and, and by the way, for those of you that are listening to the podcast and if they're uh, in a business-to-business -business environment where you sell to other businesses, this is a wonderful strategy because the people on LinkedIn uh, in a recent study may, are found to make three times more than the people on Facebook. So that's why it's an ideal category if you're looking for people who are perhaps a little more affluent, a little more to invest. But also um, a vast majority of them are decision makers. They're C-suite people. They're people who have the ability to say yes to you to make a purchase. And you can, do, you can reach practically all of them without a gatekeeper because you can direct message them. So here's the strategy in a nutshell, Seth, is a step number one, join groups on LinkedIn where your target audience is. There's over a million groups on LinkedIn, and even with a free account, you can join up to 50 of them for free. So, for example, if my market is to go after CEO, uh, CFOs, right? Let's say I sell some kind of product for CFOs. I'll join groups of CFOs. That's step number one. Step number two is I want to connect 
with those CFOs. And the reason you want to connect them and not just email them without them knowing you is the connection builds what I like to call the secret second database. We all have a database that we operate from. Um, Seth, I know you teach that you know, through, uh, through your work. So you have probably a client database and a prospect database. Well, when you're building connections on LinkedIn, that's another secret database in a way because LinkedIn allows you to export all of your connections. So not only do you get to connect that person, but you get that person's information once they accept. Now, the ratio is usually about 30% will agree to connect with you. So if you send out 100, 30 people will say yes. So kind of keep that in your mind. If you've got a really good-looking profile, and there's a whole bunch of tricks and techniques you can use for that, um, that can get to 50, 60, even 70% acceptance ratio. So you want to do that about uh, 50 connections a day is what I recommend is the minimum. And that'll get you maybe 15 to 20 yeses every day, meaning 15 to 20 new people every day will say, yes, I'll connect you. Now, once you've connected with them, now's an opportunity you have to um, send them an email directly through LinkedIn. Now, here's why it's so advantageous and powerful to send an email through LinkedIn is that they've, they've seen in studies that an email from LinkedIn gets a 300% higher open ratio than a regular email. I think the actual number was 333. But that makes sense if you think about it, Seth. When you get an email from someone on LinkedIn, don't you notice because you don't get a lot of them, it's almost one of the first emails you open? Absolutely. Yeah, so because a lot of us don't get, because email, let's admit it, LinkedIn's email system is a little clunky, right? So to send an email, you've got to go through several clicks. So not a lot of people use it. So when you use it, you automatically are standing out in their inbox. So you might have, and there's about six different strategies that you could use in order to try to get the person's attention. But I'll give you a very uh, simple one that anybody could use. Uh, so let's say, Seth, I connected with you, right? You were a CFO that was desirable for me to know. Um, I'm going to approach you to have um, a networking coffee meeting. Not a, I'm not going to pitch you right away. There's, that, that's another strategy, but I just want to sh share something that you know, might work for a lot of people. This works really well, by the way, for natural networkers, people that you know, are just natural connectors, that you, know, you enjoy meeting other people, you like looking for ways to connect people to do business together, and you don't look at people like they have a big money bag over their head. <laughs> if that's how you approach the world, this is definitely not your strategy. We have other strategies for that kind of person, but... Um, Kind of like you, Seth, you know, you're a very affable guy. You're, you're, you love making connections and introductions. Your, your personality type is, is the best for this kind of approach. So the way that it works is the email goes out, you send it out, and it says something like, uh, Seth, thanks so much for connecting with me the other day. You know, I'm working on a New Year's resolution of sorts, and I'm trying to be a better networker. Um, I've just finished reading the book, The Go-Giver, and, and I'm applying that in my business. I'd love to know if you'd have about 15 minutes uh, to have a brief phone chat or a coffee meeting just to learn about each other's businesses and see how we can network and perhaps help each other out. Uh, here's a link to my calendar. Uh, thanks so much for taking a look at this email. You know, it's very laid back. It's non-confrontational. And you're not asking for a sale. Now, when we take this system and we automate it for some people, um, we're having no less than 20 meetings every single month. So think about five new meetings a week. And even for some of the most boring and hard to sell industries like life insurance, we're seeing a 30% conversion 
from the meetings to step one sales opportunities. So if you're meeting with 10 people, three, sometimes up to four of those people are willing to ha have a conversation about uh, life insurance or financial services after they've had the networking meeting, which is amazing when you think about it because yeah. you know now you've, now you've built 10 friends, 10 people you can help, and of those 10 people, maybe three of them want to do business with you. Okay, so you move them down your, into your sales funnel. But we've also noticed something interesting, Seth, is that another 30% will end up being a referral person, somebody that can be a center of influence for you. And it's really neat the way to do this is before you meet with somebody for one of these coffee meetings, Seth, you can click on that person's profile. And we all have this on our profiles, by the way. You go down to the section that says connections. So I can literally see, Seth, all the people that you're connected to. So I'm going to click through there and I'm going to do a little search through your connections and find out who you know that maybe is a CFO in, um, in Buffalo right in the area where you do business if let's say it's a local business if it's national i'll just do a national search and then when i meet with you seth at the end of it i'll say seth you know um i noticed when i was looking at your profile which is very impressive by the way you're connected to these three people john smith mary smith tony smith and i w i think i would love to network with them and i know some people that might actually be able to help them would you be willing to do a short email intro to the both of us or may i just reach out to them and with your permission and use your name and so not only there do you get people to help you grow your center of influence to the exact prospect you want but you're getting introduced not as a financial advisor or life insurance agent which a lot of people don't feel comfortable really doing these days unless you've really really proven yourself um, and they've made that introduction on the whole premise of the networking. And I do want to say, I, I got to say this little point is that you really have to be genuine about this because if you go about this and you are thinking always in the back of your mind, I want to sell this guy, I want to sell this guy, or I want to sell this guy, it's not going to work for you. What will happen is that people will smell a rat and they'll tell by the end of the conversation, you really were not trying to get them uh, there to help them. You were trying to help yourself. So you really have to go at this with the proper ethos and the right attitude. But for those people that are those kinds of people, uh, it works phenomenally well. In fact, we've done this um, over we've done this for eight years. We've connected 800,000 people together, and we've set up 12,000 meetings using wow. this technique. And every day, there's a hundred meetings in the whole country being held as a result of people using this approach that we know of, because there are clients, we know that, but I know there's other people doing it uh, by themselves. But I know just in our um, ecosystem, we've got about 100 meetings a day going on just using that open networker approach. That is absolutely incredible. So counterintuitive, but yet so simple and brilliant. I absolutely love it. What do you, with, with all the success you've achieved helping others, what's your biggest challenge? I think the challenge that I constantly face is remaining centered to uh, my core values and uh, who I uh, who I want to be uh, known as not only professionally but also personally. 
And there's so many distractions to pull us into other people's agendas so fast. I mean, your inbox is a perfect example uh, that, you know, I think I heard it said once that your inbox is a great way for you to get on other people's agendas. And so I've, I've, it's been a, a conscious work effort uh, that for the past three years I've been working on, actually. Uh, my wife gave me a challenge uh, three years ago. She said, if we're going to keep doing the type of volunteer work that we love to do, uh, you have to stop working five days a week. So I'm challenging you to go down to three. And so I took her up on the challenge, lovingly, of course. And uh, within 90 days, I got my work schedule down to three days a week. And I kept that going. And then now we're right about two and a half days, a goal to get down to two. Uh, now, that doesn't happen overnight. And it's not because I'm a superhuman. Uh, I have wonderful team members around me. Without them, none of that could be possible. But I found that uh, by constantly challenging myself to look for ways to delegate, and also not to be distracted by whatever the latest flavor of the month thing is. And Seth, you know, as a, as a fellow marketer, there's always, we are kind of the biggest target of other marketers. And many times we can feel like we're always missing out on something. If I don't buy the latest course, if I don't go to the latest seminar, if I don't listen to the latest podcast, I'm going to be out, which is totally not true. Because I have so many people who come to me for advice that are doing all those things, but yet are still completely lost. So the, my, my biggest challenge in, <laughs> has been always remaining centered to my core. My wife and I do a lot of volunteer work. And so for us, time is, is our most precious resource. And by, by keeping that you know, centered and, and in integrity with who we are as people, uh, that's helped me to stay sane and really enjoy uh, both my business and also enjoy all the other activities I do in my personal life. That is a great answer. With, how, with everything that is constantly changing in the world of marketing, how do you stay on top of it all? How do you stay on the cutting edge? Well, I've, uh, we do so much testing ourselves that I know that the things that we're doing is our cutting edge. And I know that there's wonderful, incredibly talented people that are probably doing uh, really cutting edge things in other industries. But for me, what's the biggest, um, I guess, in terms of my value structure is time. So it's that might be fine that somebody over here is doing really well with this cutting edge technique. But, you know, think about the industry you're in, Seth. Let's just take the financial services industry. How long could you exist in the financial services industry just providing the services that you do without doing anything else on the cutting edge? How long do you think your business could survive? Um, just with you know, your, what you already do. Well, if you're not growing, you're going backwards, right? So you'll eventually get passed by or eaten or eclipsed by someone who is willing to do that. So I don't have a time frame, but you probably have a better stat than I do. But I got to believe it wouldn't take that long. Mm -hmm. So here's I, I have a I have a divergent perspective on that. So just with what you do. Right, you have the podcasting service, the uh, the book writing techniques, the social media techniques, uh, uh, all of that, which which to me are cutting edge in this space. I think you could continue to grow with just you know some maybe if if every year you added one cool feature to what you did, you would be in this for decades, 
for decades. Oh, okay. If you're thinking about it like that. All right. Yeah. Got it. Without you doing anything groundbreaking. And so I think where we get lost is many times entrepreneurs, they, they get defocused on what their value is, what, what cutting edge developments they have. And they think that by someone else having a cutting edge development, I'm missing out. And, and there's, a, there's an appropriate place. For that. I, think, I think conferences, in-person meetings are wonderful for that, where you and I met actually, where you can see what other people are doing and look for ways to implement it. But I don't make it a lifelong or a, even a daily obsession uh, if that, because I know what we're doing is so unique and special. We're looking for ways to keep making that better. Um, and, and the innovation, and in, in just this is my worldview, the innovation comes out of looking for new creative ways to share that message, not to make that um, service completely off track from what we've already started. That makes sense. Great answer. I know you're a voracious learner. Uh, let's wrap up with what are the three best books you've ever read that have had the most impact on your work? Okay, the book of Proverbs. Because whether you're religious or not, it has so many words of wisdom that you could base your entire personality off of it and the way that you conduct business, that you will attract a high quality person who will see you as standing out in your field and they'll want to do business with you. That's number one. Uh, number two, how to analyze people on site. A fascinating book written in 1915, I believe, by a couple, which describes um, how uh, the shape of our face and our bodies is a dominant factor in the way that we act. And I've used that knowledge. Um, there's a little bit of hokey stuff. I mean, it's, it was written um, over a century ago, but there's enough in there uh, that without spending a lot of time, you can really help to understand where a person is coming from. I would say that's number two. And then number three uh, would be probably, um, I, got a, I got a mental tie in my head, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with one of them. Um, how to get everything you can out of everything you've got, a marketing classic by Jay Abraham. Uh, that book really showed me ways to open up my mind and look at things uh, in such creative ways that I had never thought of. I'm forever grateful to Jay for having put that book out there and being so generous with what he shared. I'm going to make it just a, a comment on that last book because I know there's so many people probably listening to this that are aspiring to be authors or maybe have written books already is I would like to challenge the authorship, the community of authors that's out there to write high-quality books that really make a difference. Because we live in a, uh, in a society today where writing a book is um, becoming easier and easier, thanks to brilliant minds like yourself, Seth. You've made the process very easy. Yet, it does not always equal quality. And I think uh, when we and other guests on your podcast have shared book titles, probably a lot of people have nodded their heads on, yes, oh, I like that book, I like that book, I like that book. Because those books were very generous, they were meaty, they weren't they weren't um, weak, um, but they really gave value. And so, my challenge to the community of authors out there 
is to go let's go back to the days when we picked up books by like Tony Robbins and Jay Abraham and Dan Kennedy and so forth and we read these books and we didn't need anything else but what was written in the book they weren't teases they weren't sales letters trying to you know dribble in little things and then you know make us want to buy make us have to buy something else to get it let's get back to those days where we're giving massive massive value up front uh so that the community of entrepreneurs that we're all seeking to serve uh, will themselves be raised up, and who knows where greatness can come out of that. Absolutely beautiful. I agree 100%. Fascinating interview, great strategies. You've added a ton of value. Uh, for our audience that wants to learn more about what you're doing and how they can take advantage of it, where should they go? You can check us out at yourinstantauthority.com. That's yourinstantauthority.com. That's where we um, have... You can learn more about some of our services. And if you just want to connect to connect with me um, and you can figure out how to spell my name, you'll win a prize because you'll find me on LinkedIn. And I'm an open connector, so you can always connect with me there. Uh, I love always hearing uh, people's stories from all over the world from uh, these interviews like this. So uh, there you have it. All right. Thank you, everybody, for listening. We will talk to you next time. Jeremiah, thank you for spending time with us and donating your expertise and very valuable time. We greatly appreciate it. Seth, thank you, and keep up the amazing work. This is a real gift you're providing to the entrepreneurial community. You're doing a fantastic job. Thank you. I appreciate it. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.